Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. As you would expect on Sundays, we have the most frequently appearing guest on the show, the impervious. He is outperforming the Oracle of Omaha. We call him the Oracle of Somerville. Welcome again, Sean Bush. Uh, thank you, Ben. Good to be back yet again. I uh, haven't overstayed my welcome. And before we begin, just quick victory lap. Some of the picks last week. Uh, Datadog up 35% on Wednesday after earnings. Just ran away with that. Wix up 28.5% uh, after earnings. Small Design Club, or Direct Club, uh, up 20% on Tuesday. Maybe not a great rest of the week, but hey, you know, the pick was on Sunday. And then Silver, surprisingly surging at the end of the week and still looks like a good play based on the technicals. And we can get into that later, but looking forward to chatting. Yeah, we had a lot of listener compliments come your way. Although one criticism over Smile Direct Club, someone who stayed in a bit too long. But in general, I mean, I think your picks absolutely crushed it. So yeah, quite the week. in our. Triple Q versus BRKB uh, with that perf- uh, measurement beginning May 1st, 2020. You continue to crush me. So as of the beginning of May, BRKB, the Berkshire Class B shares, down 7.35%. And Triple Q, since the same date, up 495 basis points, almost 5%, outperforming the market, which is up 123 basis points during that time. So it's going to take a miracle for me to catch up or something's going to have to change. It was nice to see Berkshire in some filings announced that changed the number of positions. It sold out of a lot of JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs and bought a ton of PNC. So I was happy to see that. Also, I think moved around Phillips 66 and a few other small positions, but uh, it's good to see the Oracle responding and good to see that there's going to be some changes going forward. So just like in daily fantasy sports, you know, you, you keep going with the numbers and keep going with the stats. I'm going to hold on here and not try to react to the moment. And uh, I think we can, we can stay in the game. And as Davey Day Trader would say, defeat the pinstripes. So I'm still feeling good. Well, it's, it's interesting. We also learned this week that Margaritaville Buffett uh, also divested um, Bancorp and is basically out on banks. So it appears to be an addition by subtraction strategy so far. No, no uh, word on new positions for him. But uh, as, as much as I would love to be, you know, ringing the bell about how much uh, NASDAQ's kicking some tail here, uh, the, the, the opinion has almost changed slightly in terms of this is just wildly overbought to a point that even, you know, a, an unabashed fan of that particular sector now sees just a great short opportunity, something we can get into. But hey, I'm, I'm up so much here, I might as well just spot you a few points here, you know, at least make it interesting before, you know, this, this turns into a blowout, people tune out for the... Uh, the, the third quarter is even over. Yeah, I've been looking forward to our bull bear argument discussion, whatever you want to call it, because um, I know you've, you've recently changed your tune a bit. So I know you have both some technical arguments and fundamental arguments for why you're worried about the market. Let's start with the technical analysis, because I know 
there's a number of signals showing that we're fairly overbought here. Yeah, and if we backtrack to last week, um, I, I, I was talking about how it almost seems like 300 is within our sights yet again. You know, one, one last chance at the goal line here. Uh, but what we saw this week, um, despite some, some early buying activity in the week, uh, touching 294 actually overnight, uh, we saw some steep sell-offs on Tuesday and Wednesday just showing how much sell pressure uh, exists there. And as we also discussed, it being OPEX week, uh, it's to be expected that it would be in a faro, fairly narrow channel, uh, ending up somewhere above 280. There's a massive put wall there based on the amount of open interest at about 280. So you could see on Friday just a, a tractor beam pulling SPY to 285. Um, but what's interesting is that we saw a series of lower highs and lower lows throughout the week. And so with sort of the sideways trading over the last couple of weeks, it looks like uh, the market's consolidating on a certain range. And generally that means you're either going to break up or break down. So as we'll get into in sort of the bull bear thesis, um, you know, an argument could be made for either side. But considering a lot of the different other uh, technical points we can look at here, like that double top at 294 um, and also reaching newer lows hitting you know 273 at one point when these sell offs uh, we have definitely a, a downward trend considering just the, the runaway uh, growth of the last couple of weeks especially in the Nasdaq I think that this does certainly look like there is an opportunity for some some profit taking uh, and also freeing up some liquidity amongst some of those those companies who have who've profited from um, that rally. But also just looking elsewhere, I mean, the VIX chart looks like it's, it's primed for a breakout um, with, with the potential for some, some volatility coming up here. Uh, but also, if you only look at the one-hour chart here, one-hour candles on the S&P 500, it looks like we're sitting on an inverse head and shoulders, which would hint to a, a breakout up. But really, my, my bet is, and this will all, you know, sort of, be very interesting once futures open at six, recording this about quarter five on, on Sunday here. Uh, there does seem to be a, a lot of indecision as far as what direction it will go. We could certainly see more buying on Monday, but um, if I were to be a betting man, which clearly I am, and this is not financial advice, uh, I would see that you know the market touches 287 and then the sell-off begins. And you know to get into something, what I've heard is called the Davy Day Trader effect that's been all over FinTwit. The amount of bullish activity amongst small investors. So those would be people uh, either selling puts or buying calls at less than 10 contracts each has reached a new record high in the last week, meaning that the Davy Day Trader crowd and, and smaller investors are overwhelmingly bullish. And that sort of indicates that there is a good chance that there is a, a, a profit to be made by reversing that sentiment and just sort of taking dumb money. Um, via smart money here. So I'm looking for a downward trend to begin this week. I'm not calling for a, a rug pull necessarily. I certainly think we see 277 earlier in the week. And if we don't find much resistance, they're pretty much going straight to 272. And I think this downward trend is heading towards 260. And if some of these major catalysts that we can get into in a moment here materialize, you know, we could see some, some downward acceleration there. Um, but I don't think that we're on a fast track to March lows just yet. But I think we've sort of run out of steam for this rally. And even in other market conditions, it would be reasonable to expect some uh, retracement based on that rally. Yeah, I did some profit taking myself via selling some calls, watching the VIX tick up. 
I thought it was a good time to uh, enter some covered call positions. So got a little bit less bullish. If you want to learn more about covered calls, I have a newsletter out on it. Check out postcoronastocks.com. But overall, I, I see volatility going up. But I, I have a number of reasons, I think, fundamentally for not feeling that bullish on the market. I want to talk to you about what you think are the catalysts. On my end, I think people are a little alarmed by some of the comments you hear you heard from the Fed chairman. Um, in general, like I think some of the reopening hasn't necessarily gone as planned. So I think there are there's various macro debates going on right now. But I want to hear your end of it. Why do you think that we're poised to go down to potentially the 260 area from a fundamental perspective? So technical analysis alone is not going to be valuable. Just looking at previous price action to determine future price action is, is not alone uh, going to be a, a sustainable strategy. So knowing that we sort of are at an inflection point, um, I, I see a much, much stronger bear argument. And so just to point out some of the, the things here, I mean, we have the Fed uh, issuing what amounts to a stock price too high IMO tweet. Uh, about 4 p.m. after market closes Friday, basically saying that uh, equities are overvalued and there's fragility in the market, um, particularly in in CLOs. Uh, and I'm sure you, you can get into that a little more. Um, but there's just a lot of risk in insurance. And it seems like the mortgage uh, and solvency crisis that we've talked about before with a lot of retail, despite reopenings uh, facing BK risk or, you know, like JCPenney, finally, um, budding dust there. Uh, we've also seen a whistleblower report uh, that the some banks they named in that article, Wells Fargo and Deutsche Bank, have been juicing uh, revenue numbers for a lot of their commercial uh, mortgage customers so that they can get bigger uh, mortgages with even just a smaller increase in what the profitability appears to be. But based on the information that's been provided, this does appear to be um, a verifiable trend. So that is almost reminiscent. I shouldn't even say almost reminiscent. We're basically in 2008 part duh with, with some of this activity. And that should be no surprise to anyone whether or not this is an immediate catalyst or not. You know, it's more icing on the cake. But what I think is particularly interesting is that with those uh, NASDAQ and FANG companies really driving a lot of that rally uh, recently, we've seen some kind of frightening uh, rhetoric from Trump, particularly at uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, to name a few, um, for their fake news that he, he claims to be peddling. We've seen antitrust litigation coming for Google, their stock price dropped. Uh, at, after hours on Friday. And on top of that, the other piece that, that we've been talking about as a potential catalyst for some time is starting to heat up, and that would be the U.S.-China trade tensions. Um, we've seen not just posturing, but some specific actions here, U.S. blocking chip shipments to Huawei and also preventing uh, pension investment in China. Uh, and then we've seen China threaten to retaliate with an unreliable entity designation, which sounds delightfully bureaucratic, uh, for Apple chips, other chip stocks, Boeing, um, Qualcomm would, would be affected. And so that presents a, a very direct and immediate risk to some of those companies that have been flying high, particularly Apple. And based on how much of uh, the indexes depend on Apple with its, its uh, overall weighting as well as BRKB, um, that could deal a significant blow, not just to Apple, but um, a lot of the indexes we've seen. And so the, the last piece that I think is worth pointing out is that we, we are reaching a point here where there is some news about reopening on a limited basis, but at the same time, we are also hearing major population centers like the one 
uh, we're in with uh, Man Mighty Wash telling us we got a packet for uh, until at least June. It doesn't seem like a broader, wider reopening is happening. So it seems like right now, best case we're looking at is early June, but that also does not mean the possibility of that extending to even July is, is you know, no longer a possibility. So with the earnings reports that we're getting for first quarter, we've seen a lot of companies boom just because the numbers weren't as bad as we thought. But I think the outlook will be much different when we realize that not only is quarter two worse, but basically non-resistant or non-existent from a revenue standpoint for a lot of these companies. So it's a pretty substantial amount of new developments or increasing tension uh, with that bear thesis. And then on the bull side, you know, we have been in that rally. Um, stonks do only go up, apparently. Uh, and also, a, a, there could be a, a silver bullet coming from the biopharmaceutical industry. We've seen a couple companies, Gilead, uh, to name one, um, completely pump the market just on positive news of treatment. And Sorrento Therapeutics, SRNEs, ticker, uh, essentially is, is already being credited with a cure for COVID. And so that could either be you know, a, a positive turning point there. It's certainly, I'm not investing too much in that other than a few call positions here because it's going to uh, FOMO out in, or meme out on, on a lot of retail FOMO. So look for that on Monday. But there just is not a strong macro argument at this moment, I feel like, for that bull thesis that, that you know, we break up above that 290 level that I feel like would really invalidate my current bear uh bear thesis yeah you laid a whole bunch on the table so let me address a few so a lot of those a lot to chew on there but oh yeah let's talk first about the the clo piece because i think the the banking crisis that some are forecasting it is interesting i'm not sure i see something as bad as 08 09 because the banks are a lot better capitalized the clo crisis. And just to give background for some of the listeners, CLOs, collateralized loan obligation. If you think about CDOs being the center of the last uh, crisis, collateralized debt obligation, that was very much like consumer level. So, you know, auto loans, um, student debt, things like that, that were very much at the consumer level. CLOs are at the business level. So, um, you know, term loan A's and other types of credit that were extended to, to businesses. So it's interesting that this could be the center of the next crisis because obviously businesses were fairly levered going into this, right? That's what happens when there's an economic expansion. Companies take on more debt at cheaper rates. So CLOs, similar to other structured securities, um, if you're higher in the risk spectrum, if you're taking more risk, a dollar of defaults goes straight to you. If you're a little bit higher in the capital structure, uh, you'll be a little bit more protected. Of course, we'll get a lower return and we'll take more and more defaults to eat into your return. Um, of course, there are pieces of CLOs issued at AAAs. It would take a whole lot um, in order to lose money on those. So, it, you know, there's, I'm not Michael Berry or anything, and I haven't run the numbers on this. So it's very tough to say how that will play out. Um, one thing I would say is the leverage of the banks is not what it was in the, in the aughts or the you know, late 2000s. So I, don't, I think banks are much better protected. I continue to want to be long banks. I know the Fed and the Oracle himself uh, are not as, as bullish, but banks are trading at huge discounts on a book value basis. They've been much more safe with their credit. The underwriting centers have improved a lot. Uh, they, they had, they're much better capitalized. They're not nearly as levered. So I don't know. I'd like to hear more arguments as to why individual bank names are not things you would want to own. Obviously, Buffett, to an extent, agrees and disagrees, right? He sold JP Morgan and he sold Goldman Sachs, but he increased his position in PNC, and he also didn't do any selling on, on the Wells Fargo side. So he still owns plenty of banks. So I'm not fully convinced that 
we're in for another bank related crisis. That said, um, the other things you mentioned, you know, from the uh, China US trade war um, to the antitrust with the tech companies, I mean, it's a lot for the government to focus on. You're fighting an enormous war against an invisible enemy that is taking up everybody's attention. The antitrust uh, against the tech giants is enough to take years, right? You think about the Microsoft case in the 90s, um, that took half a decade. And then, of course, the, the China trade war is just going to compound the impact of COVID. So I don't think that it's politically, uh, there are any political incentives to really engage in this, in this uh, Huawei escalation, right? It doesn't benefit China. It doesn't benefit the United States. It's an election year. What the voters are going to want to see is improvement in the economy going in. They're going to want to see improvement in the stock market, improvement in the number of COVID cases. So don't think a China trade war helps there. I, I think a lot of this is just bluster and uh, made for the headlines, right? Uh, Republicans love China hawks to an extent. I'm sure some voters on the ground floor like it as well. So I'm fading the China trade war. I'm fading CLOs. I think I'm also fading antitrust, right? Uh, you know, there's not enough resources to focus on this right now. They tried to go after the tech companies last year or, or two years ago. We've heard various rumors of antitrust and real investigations into Amazon and Google and Apple, uh, Facebook, all of those guys, and nothing's ever happened. So I think I might say I'm fading all three. I, for other reasons, I remain bearish on the market. The reason I'm really bearish is I think the fundamentals just don't justify the price action we've seen upwards. Of course, some companies have done really well, and this podcast is largely about companies that will thrive in the post-COVID environment. But for the majority of companies, they rely on foot traffic. Our economy is still heavily levered to people physically being in physical places. So overall, I, I don't think you know, we're, we're anywhere close to where we're trading in, this 290, 300 range. You know, I think the market should be 20, 30% down just on an earnings basis. You're talking about any number of companies that are seeing a 20 to 30 to 40% hit on earnings. You're, you're talking about a, a large number of bankruptcies as well. I mean, a lot of companies can't survive with 30 to 40% declines in demand happening. So bearish for different reasons, but the macro headlines you pulled up, I'm saying I'm fading all of them. So I, I think we both are in the same direction, but for different reasons, I suppose, is my conclusion. And I think one thing we might be leaving out, even though I did briefly mention the Fed announcements, we got um, J-Power, Printer Go Burr, on, uh, I believe it's 60 minutes tonight, about an hour. And so this is a pre-recorded interview. I don't know that there's anything particularly uh, um, strong in, in that interview that would really move the market. But in order to sort of gauge the sense of, you know, where trading will will follow that since, you know, right now there there is a lot of trading on news, even if it's not tied to COVID numbers. Um, and that's why, although you're fading some of the, um, you know, trade war rhetoric, the fact that it is a, uh, an election year makes it such that there is just a higher likelihood of, of action being taken due to the immediacy of sort of, you know, major geopolitical changes, even if it's only domestically for the time being. So I think we're in agreement here. Um, but one thing I did just want to add there to your point about, you know, the strong um, discount or, you know, a balance sheet position indicating the, the banks or the financial sector represent a good uh, at least long-term investment and in, in not buying into Buffett's position is that it is concerning though that they, they really haven't rebound. And I'm talking pretty specifically about some of the investment banks who are looking at JPM, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley have really not rebounded um, in, in the last you know month or so 
quite the way one would want to see if there was to be a continued bull movement with the sector rotation we've seen um, sort of balancing out over oversold, overbought in some some industries like travel and tourism, you know, seeing brief bumps. Um, we, we would need to see another sector outside of tech, whether that's energy, whether that's financials, hospitality, tourism, uh, really show strong growth to keep moving things forward. But it seems like that is moving further and further away that that's a likelihood. And the growing exposure, I think, for banks um, represents at least a, a high level of risk and you know more downside there than it represents upside in at least the short term. I'm going to follow up with the question I always ask when we talk about trends. What would it take to change your mind? And that's partly a leading question because I think some interesting news that crossed the wire today was the announcement, or excuse me, I think Friday or Thursday, was the announcement that by the end of the year, the Trump administration expects a vaccine to be produced. And of course, that administration produces a lot of things that are more likely, as in sports, we would say for the fans uh, than actual uh, assumed fact. But clearly that's being targeted. Clearly they're invested in that. So the market seems to respond a lot to vaccine news. And I think the vaccine news has been overwhelmingly positive. If If you believe what's being put out there, you know, there are 100 different candidates uh, there are 14 that are being directly backed by the government, uh, 14 in human trials. So overall, uh, I, I think that's kind of a white swan if you want to you know, use the Taleb thing. If black swan is a highly negative, unexpected event, a white swan is a positive one. I think we could see vaccine news cross the wire that might change some market opinions. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, I loved the uh, press conference last week with Donald Trump hyping the uh, truckers honking at him and announcing this mega vaccine program. I mean, this basically would take something resembling the Manhattan Project, but for a vaccine to really deliver uh, something with efficacy and safety um, before the end of the year. But I, 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 as much as market efficiency doesn't exist, I think some of that is priced in already if we're trading on, you know, future cash flows and, and not discounting based on the current situation as much in certain sectors, especially biopharma. Um, basically, the, the, the goalpost has been set at by the end of the year. So I certainly see the, the risk of that not happening being higher than the likelihood that it happens much sooner being there. But what would invalidate this bull or bear thesis, at least in the time being, um, you know, looking very, very short term, we were to break over 290, I think that really invalidates at least the technical perspective of why that would go down. But looking a little further out, I think the the real you know ticking time bomb that's lurking out in the future is second quarter earnings, because as things go on without a clear resolution, those get worse and worse and are in, in most uh, industries looking to be worse than they were in the first quarter. So, you know, how much of that forgiveness for, you know, being not as bad as, as uh you know, analysts had thought in, in a stock bouncing on that um, can can one expect in the second quarter. So the the sort of medium term uh, cadence here is showing that, you know, that seems like a reasonable time for uh, a, another down leg. But, um, you know, we could see a rebound back to 280 levels or high 270. That's assuming we break through um, like 272. I see 260 being sort of the realistic um, landing point for a rebound in the short term. Um, and that's where, you know, I'd at least look to go long for, uh, the next, you know, monthly options or whatever time scale I'm looking at. But, um, aside from sort of hitting that 290, even if there is a cure presented immediately in a vaccine brought, there's still going to be a delay between that and when 
at least consumer demand returns when you know there's more travel and the oil situation is potentially resolved, which is still lurking right now and not fully sort of. Uh, while while oil prices have gone up, we're still not at a level where many industries that are essential to at least the U.S. economy can sustain themselves. So it's it's tough at this point because I don't know how many more silver bullets are left, and it also looks like you know negative interest rates. Although that'll probably get talked down, um, are still something that are a flailing attempt to to get things going, and I think that's also more reasonable than it is sort of an impossibility as it's been uh, presented by a lot of the. Um, bureaucrats and politicians talking about it. Um, you know, there aren't too many other pieces aside from just full reopening and full uh, everyone just resuming their previous life the way it was back in, you know, say February. So it's it's hard to envision that, but just from a pure price action perspective, uh, you'll know it when you see it. But it's that 290 level, I think, is key. Yeah, to an extent, I was trying to play devil's advocate there, so I like your response. I think. You acknowledge that a lot of what's being priced in is a vaccine by the end of the year. And then the second quarter earnings piece, I've been trying to go through a bunch of the first quarter earnings calls, um, reading them and, and trying to, to see what the commonalities are. And it is a very common management guidance thing to say, we saw a rebound in April, but we're not going to put out 2020 guidance. And the, the rebound is usually fairly modest. You know, we're talking the order of single digit percentage, but still significantly down year over year. So if you're a Wall Street analyst and you're making a discounted cash flow model, it's very difficult to say, what's the extent of this rebound? How do I project what growth is going to look like in the second, third, fourth quarter? So, I mean, again, volatility, I expect to rule the day. I don't think you can really forecast anything confidently. So like you, I think the market goes sideways and I definitely lean towards being bearish at this point. Let's get into some of your picks for the week. I know you have, you're seeing some interesting earnings plays as well as uh, unusual options activity. Yeah, so this week, it, it seemed like most of the options activity that really stood out to me was more on the large indexes. And you know, with large indexes like uh, SPY, IWM, QQQ, uh, it's, it's hard to read too much into individual options flow. Um, just because there is so much volume there, you know, even a large order could just re represent a hedging position. But one one particular um, flow that really stood out to me was an eight and a half million dollar um, order for the June eighteenth, um, might be nineteenth there, uh, two hundred and ten dollar put coming in at three fifty six on Friday. So that's particularly large, especially as uh, QQQ and those would be you know Nasdaq, my uh, friend of the podcast. Um, that, that just is sort of uncommon there and gives me confidence for at least the, the confirmation that there is going to be, uh, or that at least at this point in time, the index is uh, overbought and there's an immediate um, potential downturn there uh, within the next month time frame, which you know, I think you really need to be looking more a month out rather than just playing weeklies with any of these indexes because I think it's, it's hard to be certain about any one direction based on everything we've seen. Price action still is king, so uh, we could see some upward movement in the beginning of the week or just a, a head fake um, slight sell-off with a strong rebound earlier in the week. But uh, if you're positioned out in, in that June time frame, I think you're, you're pretty safe to capitalize on uh, what seems to be uh, a likely downward trend. Um, another move that stood out was six and a half million dollars of Uber leaps. And this is for January 2022 at the $50 strike price. 
Um, not too common to see leaps, uh, especially that far out of the money and in that uh, large of an order. And this came across several orders. So typically seeing something like this, I, I think part of the, the tactics to avoid uh, really standing out as an inside buy is to really push a further expiration date as opposed to showing, you know, exactly when a press release or piece of news is going to be announced. Um, and that sort of helps cover your tracks a little bit. But this sort of has the the, the makings of a an expectation of a large announcement, whether that is a merger. Um, this is probably bigger than talks uh, that, that have been going around about an acquisition of Grubhub. Um, but that's at least large enough for me to, to, to see that there's something that's not publicly available uh, that's currently being traded on and based on how, how much higher that is over Uber's price. Granted, it is 2022. Uh, it does represent something that stands out. Um, one, one a little earlier in the week I saw was a $4.5 million uh, order for um, the Avis budget group uh, for $8 puts out in August. And that one seemed a little more obvious in terms of what's going on. Obviously, nothing is obvious. But with the uh, Hertz um, bankruptcy discussions earlier this month, uh, we saw a number of um, large leap put orders come across for Hertz that eventually ended up cashing big time uh, a little further on down the line. So um, it seems like there is some risk there. I haven't gone through the financials completely on what the Avis budget group uh, looks like at the moment, but they do have substantial debt obligation, something like $17 billion. And uh, apropos to reopening discussions and you know hospitality and tourism, it doesn't seem like there is much demand. There's certainly no business travel um, to necessitate use of their fleet. So that's got to be a significant uh, level of credit obligation that they've got to deal with. So barring some restructuring, I expect some news similar to what we saw in Hertz um, coming out at least, you know, in the next couple months, if not in the immediate time frame. Yeah, on Hertz, I'm checking an article on them right now. I guess they have until Friday to negotiate with lenders or it's likely going to be uh, filing for bankruptcy. Carl Icahn is pretty big in that name. So I'm sure there will be some fireworks before that is all said and done. But yeah, uh, I think all the car rental agencies are going to be interesting to watch. And I'm not as familiar with the business model, but when you have a large fleet or a major capital investment in your product versus something like, you know, a code base or software as a service, um, it doesn't require that much capital for upkeep uh, and requiring utilization to, to justify uh, that investment. I feel like that's a lot safer in this point in time if we're just talking, um, you know, long-term plays here. Uh, so certainly car rental agencies look like a particularly precarious uh, place to, to put some some money. Um, and a couple other just weird ones that stood out this week. There's a $1.3 million order for Stitch Fix at $25 um, strike for June 19th. Um, no particular news or, or announcements, even though it surged Friday. Um, this could potentially be anticipating um, positive sales or booming sales growth considering some of the um, recent action for stocks like Wayfair that sort of in Shopify as well um, that have really boomed on um, news of a lot of consumers either shopping or opening small businesses uh, in light of the quarantine situation. So that's at least a narrative that I can spin around that, but that's one to watch sort of earlier in the week. And there was a number of orders coming through for HPQ Hewlett Packard um, $17 strike uh, for July 17th. If I were to guess what that is betting on, um, that looks more like an acquisition potential. 
Um, there was acquisition talks that fell apart earlier in the year, um, actually a few months ago for, for HP. Uh, but otherwise, potentially an earnings play since they announced, I believe, later in June here. But 70,000 um, volume to 1,500 open interest is definitely something that stands out. So um, that was a cheaper contract there i think something like 20 or 30 cents when that was coming down so I'm, I'm comfortable taking a few lottos on that and then like i mentioned earlier in early week uh potential you know four or five bagger depending on the news could be sorrento uh therapeutics srne uh we already saw on friday 100 percent uh move from four to eight dollars on news that they may have a potential what they are calling cure for uh, COVID-19 um, represents a potential for just major runaway um, pumping going on earlier or in the early part of this week. And we've seen with companies like Gilead, like Codex, um, the news can really drive an insane rally in a short period of time. But the huge risk with any of those companies is the pump and dump aspect to it, like we saw with Codex as well. And um, Gilead also is sort of facing the downside of disappointing news on trials. So um, if you're looking for any lotto ticket to really deliver a huge profit in a short period of time, it seems like the biopharmaceutical companies are definitely presenting the, the shortest return there. And that's certainly just a uh, degenerate gambling at its finest. But the most immediate opportunity there, if you just want to throw some, some chips on, on red, would be uh, SRNE. But if you are in there and it works out, get out as quick as you can. That's probably more of a day trade opportunity than something to look at uh, holding for, for more than a few days. To play the fundamentals, guys, I usually do on that podcast. To our listeners, I think of the plays you presented, I like the Hewlett Packard one the most. Xerox, I think, was trying to buy them out for 21 bucks a share. Uh, a merger of equals, or I think Xerox might actually be a slightly smaller company. But Hewlett Packard, I remember I took a look at them a couple months ago, um, and the management group believes very strongly in them. I mean, they rejected the acquisition. The company's now trading at 15 bucks a share. So I think that could be a good one. You're getting a good company that was doing well pre-COVID and, and should continue to do well post-COVID. Often, like these, you know, former stars of the tech world that have kind of faded from grace a little bit, often have incredible balance sheets, um, insider buying, and are, are still well-run companies. So take a look at HP. I mean, I think uh, on the pharma names, it's it's a degenerate gambling play, as you said. Uh, I, I think the vaccine story is going to play out over a very long time. There could be multiple winners. And I think there could even be a case where, you know, say SRNE does have a vaccine. The, what's being valued in terms of market cap? Is that actually equal to whatever they're going to get um, from having some type of patent uh, or being first to market with the drug? Because as of now, you're seeing you know, billions and billions of dollars, you know, companies that are 10, 20 baggers for putting out this one drug, which to be fair, you know, does happen in the, the pharma space. But I've never seen that analysis done. I think it, it's equal to go into the casino, as you said. So yeah, I like the HP play a lot better. And again, I feel like it's very necessary to point out the risk here with, with these biopharma stocks, even though there is high upside potential. I mean, uh, Sorrento Therapeutics being up 100% on Friday, I mean, that doubling their market cap. They were sitting at around $700 million before that. So this is definitely you know, not, not a big player or someone to be counted on. This is almost reminiscent of, of ICOs back in the day, if anyone's doing crypto. 
in terms of you know just purely speculative plays without any sense of fundamental backing for that that price action. Um, but it is exciting to watch, and, and the FOMO is strong there. If you yes, mean. I was actually about to make the same ICO comparison. I play a fantasy stocks game uh, that is over the duration of one year. So a couple friends and I started in February, which was, of course, the most interesting time to start. So a lot you're highly incentivized to actually swing trade things and try to find plays that you can can juice your returns. So I bought Moderna uh, a couple right when COVID started on a Wall Street Journal article that Moderna was fairly confident they had some good vaccine candidates. And I've watched Moderna go. I haven't sold. It's gone from twenty bucks to I think sixty five. I wish I owned it in my my personal portfolio in real life, but it has vaulted me to first place in fantasy. And as we all know. Uh, whoever wins in fantasy is, you know, the best uh, hypothetical uh, GM, be it in sports or finance. So proud of that. I mean, it's uh, fantasy stocks, just like trading imaginary paper money here. So it's not really, you know, that that much different, except I guess there's no withdrawal option in in your fantasy league. Yeah, the the commissioner of our league, uh, I'm going to have some comments on this for next year. But there's, you don't pay margin when you're levered or when you're shorting a stock, which is very different from real life. You know, most brokerage accounts, if you are levered two to one, you're going to be paying 9% on half of your portfolio. Um, same with shorting stocks. You, you generally get margin called or have to pay an increasing amounts of interest depending on how much you're borrowing. So I've taken advantage of that. I have a fairly large short book, but um, it's not a reflection of reality. But I would say to our listeners, I think fancy stocks is really fun. And uh, it definitely has, has made me more aware of certain market dynamics than I would be in my long-only portfolio. So check it out. Investopedia leaves a bit to be desired, but it's a platform that gets it done. So yeah, maybe we should start a, uh, a fantasy stocks thing for this podcast. That could be interesting. If you want to join the Fantasy Stocks League, send us uh, a, a, a letter um, hyping some of your picks and also why, why you are unique and should be part of our, our league which we will come up with a name with shortly. Great idea. Uh, let's make it happen. You have anything else before we wrap up today's stock talking? Yeah, so we are still in earnings season, so I just want to tie it up with a couple of earnings plays to watch. None of these um, really have any flow, at least at this point, to, to back up uh, any particular sentiment, just playing off of just sort of the buzz um, in certain parts of Fintwit and the internet. So a uh, larger name uh, would be CRM that Salesforce. They've actually got earnings the following week. But one of the things we've talked about in previous shows as far as how to best play earnings plays is to get positioned early and be able to capitalize on the run-up um, and not be caught bag-holding um, based on how unpredictable the, the action is after those earnings are. So CRM does look like one based on some of the, the tech plays. Um, I mean, customer relationship management software is a little different than network monitoring or, or something else like like DDoG, but it does seem like for at least the retail, uh, dare I say even boomer investors that aren't as inclined um, to know the business, it does at least align with, with that uh, thesis that computer things are going to go up, uh, which also I think Splunk falls in a little more in line with that particular um, market segment. And I think, you know, there could be a potential runaway if it hasn't already, you know, benefited from um, 
the re earnings uh, boost from like uh, Datadog in New Relic, one that we, we missed out on a little bit last week, probably because we were snake bitten from Cloudflare. Um, but I think, you know, we could, based on the, the hit rate we've seen in that particular sector, um, if the flow uh, is there, I'm definitely looking to, to take a position on Splunk. Um, but then in the retail section, uh, seeing a lot of buzz around TJ Maxx, who has earnings next week. They surged 5% on Friday. Um, I'm not totally sold on brick and mortar retail. Uh, not as strong of an online presence. So there's certainly weakness there, but we're only really looking a week at a time. And it does seem like I believe that's a Motley Fool uh, approved by there. So you can look at some, some retail um, FOMO going on there, assuming there isn't a, a mass sell-off. But also uh, in home improvement, um, Home Depot and Lowe's will be reporting this week. And there's a lot of anecdotal information there about how many uh, people are doing renovations or remodeling considering um, home buying and, and home sales are down. A lot of people being at home are using this time to take care of some projects. So there's at least a narrative there. I don't know that the, the fundamentals or numbers back it up, but uh, again, looking to capitalize on the buzz and FOMO in some of these stocks if the flow does indicate an, an opportunity there. Uh, and I believe uh, Home Depot and Lowe's are coming midweek. Um, be looking for some flow Monday or Tuesday. I'll definitely uh, be interested in at least taking a, a lotto ticket on, on those two for, for the run-up. Yeah, a ton of interesting names reporting. I think CRM, so Salesforce, I'll be really interested to see what's going on there. Uh, shout out to my own podcast. I interviewed Hayden Hawksmayer from HubSpot. Uh, they also make CRM software, but to smaller businesses, to so small to medium-sized businesses where Salesforce is largely Fortune 500 and bigger companies. But check that out. Um, I really like that whole space. So I'll be watching to see if Salesforce has actually grown through COVID or if they adjust their guidance at all. Splunk, I've, I've used in the past, uh, you know, logging software, very similar to Datadog. I think they should probably follow suit uh, based on how well Datadog did. I actually think Splunk is a better product. I've used both of them. So I've been really uh, impressed with some of Splunk's capabilities. So yeah, I think on the tech names, it'll be interesting to see if we see continued strength. Um, you know, in Home Depot and Lowe's, it, I, I guess they're essential businesses. Uh, I think they're one of the, I think Home Depot is still open in Boston. So uh, who's doing home improvement in this environment? Not sure. Uh, but real estate is held in there. Um, you know, worth noting that another podcast, you know, Max Widmer, you can find his podcast. Uh, I interviewed him on Zillow. He works there. Um, was very bullish on real estate. And, you know, by, depending on whose estimates you look at, real estate is only down in the single digit percentage uh, range. So it has outperformed the market. So if you tie uh, home improvement to real estate, you know, maybe it's doing well, but I think we're in for a lot of interesting data this week. So I'll be plugged into all of those earnings. And you may see some uh, stock talking newsletters cross the wire uh, with reports on my analysis there. So super excited. Um, looks like there's some good options trades to be made as well. Uh, but we're in for a really exciting week and I uh, can't wait to see what happens. But uh, yeah, The Impervious, you can find them on Twitter at, at The Impervious. Uh, anything you'd like to say to our listeners before we part ways? Happy trading, everyone. Uh, looking forward to bloodbath coming this week but uh just remember if you make money on that don't dance that's right all right everybody i will see you on the next episode of stock talking goodbye for now thanks for listening to hear more episodes of stock talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations market commentary and more visit postcoronastocks.com